0: Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Fountain Church Podcast. Our prayer is that God speaks to you in a real and powerful way. So go ahead, grab your Bible, grab a notepad, and your coffee, and let's dive in. I want to pray for you this morning as we dive in. I believe God wants to speak something very clearly and specific to us. We've been in a series called Church in the Wild. Now, for those of you guys who are our first-time guests with us, whether you're online or you're here in person, uh, my name is Matt. My wife, Jackie, and I, we are the lead pastors here at Fountain, and uh, we're just so grateful that you chose to be with us this Sunday morning. And once again, we just want to say welcome home and make yourself at home. And I I do want to speak to you around this idea of it's bigger than you. Look at your neighbor that you're with and say it's bigger than you. If you're not with anybody, turn around, find somebody, and say, it's bigger than you. All right, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Lord, I pray that you would come, Holy Spirit, that you would speak clearly to us as we open up your word. Lord, we love you. We give you glory. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen and amen. Well, I want to bring you back to 1999. Let you guys remember 1999. Well, I, I want to bring you to South Africa in 1999. They were experiencing something that was a little bit unusual. There were these uh, rhinos, uh, some of them were actually endangered, that were coming up dead. And so they started to do some investigation, and they realized that it wasn't poachers, but that it was actually elephants that were killing all of these rhinos. Now, when they started to look, they got very concerned because some of these, like I said, were very rare rhinos. There was only uh, a few of them left in population. And so they started to investigate, and they found out that these weren't ordinary elephants, but rather these were orphaned elephants. These were were young orphaned elephants. And and what they found out was that during a, a, a season where they had to, they call it cold. Everybody say cold. It's, it's another word for saying we selectively slaughtered specific elephants, males, bulls, fathers, specifically because they were trying to control the population. Like the, the population of elephants was growing too uh, rapidly, too vastly. And so they, they began to, to slaughter the male bulls. Well, what that did is it left these young elephants trying to figure out their way, trying to find their way in life. And so they they didn't know how to act. They didn't even know how to respond. So they started to turn randomly on these rhinos. Now, elephants and rhinos would clash once in a while. Like, you know, they'd have a little run in. But this was like intentional. This this seemed very aggressive. They were jamming their, their tusk inside the chest of the rhino. They were tearing them to shreds. And so they were like, man, what is going on? And then they realized that, man, we've taken out the fathers. We've taken out... The, the the male bull so they said man we got we got to find some from across the globe so they ended up bringing some male bulls back to the population and almost instantly the behavior began to shift all of a sudden the aggression went down and they noticed a huge change there there wasn't any rhino attacks anymore like there was before it just began to shift very dramatically you, you see w- without the male bulls in the land without the fathers there was confusion There was confusion in the land. And I think this gives us a great picture and points us to a great principle. If you're taking notes, you can jot this down. Is that when our Heavenly Father is removed from the equation, there will be confusion. When our Heavenly Father is removed from the equation of our life, there will be confusion. In fact, this has been Satan's goal from the beginning is to lure you and I away from the Father. It's to create distance between you and I and God. And so we see this all the way going back to Genesis chapter 3, all the way back to the beginning, all the way back to the garden. We see Adam and Eve living life with God. And the serpent shows up and he begins to tempt, he begins to seduce, he begins to lure Eve outside of the father's will now you got to get this picture in your mind the lord said hey you can eat from any tree in the garden there's just one tree that i don't want you to eat from and it's for your own good that you don't eat of it but the serpent came and did his best to get eve to question the goodness of god which led to doubting the word of god which led to turning the focus from the father to self and he's been using this lie for a long time. And in fact, the lie looks something like this. The lie looks something like this, where the enemy says, I'm all about you, and God is not for you. I mean, this is the ancient lie, but it still works. It's like he's, he's an old enemy. There's not a lot of new tactics because he doesn't really need them because he is still so many times able to persuade us that God is not good, that causes us to doubt his word, and then what, what ends up happening is what? As we end up getting the focus on ourselves or on something else, the Father is removed out of the equation, and then we're left with confusion. And so I, I want you to get this in your mind because this, this still permeates to this day. I mean, how many of us know, how many of us have heard what God has spoken, the things that God has said? Like, and if you're not a follower of Jesus, it's okay because maybe you understood how it, how it feels to find yourself in moments where you know what the right thing is, but you still just don't do it, right? But for those of us who are followers of Jesus, like, there's very specific moments where we know that God clearly speaks something. But all of a sudden we begin to rationalize that God is not for us. And, and I'll be honest with you, the enemy is about you. He's about you being self-focused. He's about you being self-sufficient. He's about you doing anything to do you just don't add the, the father into the equation so so he is about you that there is a little bit of truth there but the lie is that god is not for you that that couldn't be so far from the truth and you and i time and time again we find ourselves knowing what god says but we buy into this lie we question his goodness we doubt his word and we still proceed anyways we partake we give way to sin and then comes the distance then comes the distance. And see, we see this lie promoting what I like to call self-exaltation. We see this lie, it promotes self. The enemy is all about you, that he wants you to be the great I am or to think you are the great I am. It's about my ideas, it's about my ideologies, it's about my opinions, it's about my bent on theology. And if it doesn't align with God, it's like, sorry God, I just... You're going to have to work that out, God, because I'm still going to do me. I'm still going to do what I want to do. And so the enemy starts off with this lie with Eve to say, don't you want to be like God? Like, how good would it be for you to be on the throne? How good would it be for you to have knowledge like God? And so he begins to play on this lie that's, it's, it's really important, and it's going to be more beneficial that you elevate yourself. But every time we elevate ourselves, every time we self-exalt, many times we have to lower God in our minds, in our perception. And so I, I want you to get this, this picture because every time we begin to lower God, that begins to diminish the authority of God's word in our life. It doesn't really lower God because nobody can lower him and it doesn't really diminish his authority because God is all present, all powerful, all knowing. Um, so really, it, it's a lie. It's a deception. It's its we think we can do that, but it's really not real. Are you tracking with me on that? Like you can't diminish God, but you can distance yourself. You can distance yourself. You can uh, not allow the word of God to bear weight. You can not allow the word of God to... To have authority as as he reigns and rules and is supposedly to be Lord of our lives. Are you guys with me today? And I think sometimes this starts, it starts so subtle. And it leads to such a confusion, it leads to a distortion, it leads to not thinking about ourselves soberly. And we start to elevate ourselves, our opinions, our ideas above the Lord, above his word. And then we get distorted and we start to see ourselves more highly, scripture would say, than we ought to. And that leads to a place of confusion. Whenever you remove our heavenly father from the equation, the default is confusion, but it starts so subtly. It starts with Adam and Eve with a bite. Like they take a bite of fruit. Like that doesn't seem so grotesque. Like it doesn't seem like this huge wicked sin that it just ate some fruit off of a tree, I mean, it's not like, you know, they went out and they, they murdered somebody or they, no, no, they just took a bite of some fruit. I'm just telling you, man, this, this can start very small. It can start very subtle. Where, where even what we're doing, it may not even seem like that big of a deal. But anytime we begin to doubt the goodness of God and it diminishes the word of God and the authority of God's word in our life, can I just say that the, the ramifications of that is, is not going to be good. It may be good in the moment, but it's not going to last for the long run. And this self-exaltation even happens in churches. I mean, Paul said very clearly, he says, even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. It's like, man, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to still try to build my own kingdom. I'm going to try to cause division within the church. And then it says, so be on your guard, remember That for three years, I've never stopped warning each of you day and night with tears. And so listen, self-exaltation, it it doesn't end well. It's it's not very good. Self-exaltation many times leads to self-consumption. And self-consumption basically says it's it's all about my needs. It's all about my needs, about my wants, my desires, my pleasures, my feelings. Like those begin to rule over everything. It's about, it's all about me, what I want, what makes me feel good. And, and can I just say that when, when we find ourselves in those moments, it might look like this. It might look like, man, how, how dare you, God, call this sin? Like, like, how dare you try to control me? And when we're self-consumed, we start to use people We start to manipulate to get what we want, and it's all about our ease. It's all about our comfort. It's all about our way, and it leads to narcissistic behavior. And and then we kind of digress from self-consumption to being self-sufficient. And this is kind of at the climax where it's really I don't need God. I may say that I need God, but I really don't believe that I need God. And so God becomes like the cherry on top of my life rather than the Lord of my life. It's kind of like, 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 you know, you go and do I want the cherry today or not? Mm, man, just throw in the whipped cream but leave out the cherry. Right, like he, he becomes the cherry on top rather than the Lord of our life. And, and we start to, to, to come to church and, and we do it because we're, we're good people, right? Like, God, you're lucky I, I graced the doors today. Because really I don't need you. I'm just trying to pay some homage to you. Because, you know, it kind of clears my conscience or whatever. And and God, God forbid, God contradicts us. Can I just tell you, if God can't contradict you, he's not God. If God can't challenge you, he's not God. Or he may be God, but you're not allowing him to be Lord over your life. And so it may sound like, well, God, you are entitled to your opinion, but I got this. I got this all under control. Like, thank you, Lord, for your input, but I got this. And, and, and the temptation becomes not to acknowledge God at all. And a lot of times this doesn't come out. I'm saying it very bluntly, but it doesn't come out like that. Like nobody's just like, God, I just got this. No, but, but there's the, this subtle notion inside of our hearts that says, God, I'm just gonna continue to do me. Like, I, I, I like the fruit. I'm gonna take a bite. It, it looks pleasing to the eye it's desirable and so so i i want us to get this picture in our mind because we find ourselves in a self-sufficient place until a crisis hits and then it's like oh god like why did you let this happen like what is going on right i love what proverbs says proverbs says that a man suffers from his own folly yet his heart rages against the lord and so this, this self-sufficiency, it, it hits and, and it starts to permeate our life. And we see that happen in Genesis. We go uh, from Genesis chapter 3 to Genesis chapter 11 and we see this, this picture of this where uh, Genesis chapter 11 verse 4 says, Then they said, come let us build ourselves a city. Speaking of the Tower of Babel. Like come let us build for our, a city for ourselves with the tower that reaches the heavens. Like God, we... We got this. We know that, that your plan and your will is to disperse across the land, but we don't want to do that, they said. We're just going to build for ourselves a city. We're going to build for ourselves. Man, man God, we don't even need you to reach heaven. We can reach heaven on our own. Like, like we, we got this. And he says, so that we may make a name for ourselves we're going to be a city for ourselves we're going to build it to the heavens so we can make a name for ourselves God we know what you said that we should do that we should populate that we should fill the earth that we should disperse but we don't want to do that we got this listen we are self-sufficient we are independent our technology and our social unity God we got this and God was like yeah doing a great job but you're not God and so the Lord says that is why it was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. And in this moment, we start to see something very unique. And we start to see that all of a sudden all their languages were, uh, you know, everybody had a different language, so all of a sudden they can't communicate to keep building. And I, I want you to lean into this word "babble" because this word Babel, it actually means confusion. Whenever you remove our Heavenly Father from the equation, it will end in confusion. It will end in a distortion. They're, they're, they're building something, but, it, but it's not built on, on anything that can stand. It's built on a false assumption that they are greater than God. And so, so get this picture in your mind. I don't even need to preach this to you. Because if you have removed God out of the equation, you already know. Like you know the results and the fruit of that. There's not a whole lot of clarity there. We we, we start to get things distorted on the way that we view relationships, the way we view marriage, the way that um, we partake in certain things that we know are not healthy for us. And so so I I want to encourage you today that when you remove God, it leads to confusion. And, And I'm hoping today to bring some clarity. Now, you may not be a follower of Jesus, and there is this sense of maybe your whole life doesn't feel confused, but there's areas that you just can't figure out. I remember hearing, uh, anybody ever eat a Quest Bar? Come on, Quest Bar, they're healthy, right? Only like one, a couple grams of, it's a type of sugar that's not as bad as regular sugar, right? And I remember hearing uh, the gentleman that created it, I saw him on an interview and he said, I spent my whole life trying to get rich and now I'm filthy rich. And he said, there was a moment that I walked into my office and I quit because I thought this was it. Now I'm filthy rich and it's not it. And I wish at that moment I could read, you know, I could reach into the, the, to the computer screen and grab him and say, that's because there's another part of the equation. And so for him, it's confusing. It was, man, I, I just thought this is what life was supposed to be. See, when self becomes greater than God, it equals confusion. Can I just make it very clearly? Um, come on, I'm trying to encourage you on this Sunday morning. We're talking about we're talking about, man, this is real. Like, I want you to have clarity in life. There, listen, there is so much confusion in our land right now. I don't want you to be confused. And, and I want to, to make this very clear. It's very, very clear that when self is greater than God, it equals confusion. Because it's, it, it's sin. Like, are you guys tracking with me on that? It's sin. It's, it's a lie. You're not greater than God. And what it does is it leads to a life in the flesh. Let me show you how Paul describes this in Galatians. He says, he says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasure, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of a life will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's in this moment that Paul is not trying to punch people in the face because of their sin. He's saying, let me show you the realities and the ramifications of it, so that you can see that, man, we have a God who sees, who knows, and is for you, and paid the ultimate price with his life, that you would be forgiven, that you would be restored, and that all things would be made brand new. But but the reality is this. When we focus on self, it leads to confusion, and then that confusion many times leads to destruction. Because you can see all this stuff right here, right? Selfish ambition, dissension, division, drunkenness, wild parties, hostility, courting, lustful sexual—you can see all that. When you're living there, it it, it ends in destruction. Like it, it doesn't end well. And I'm reminded of, of in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter four. There was uh, this king of Babylon who took the people of Israel captive. And uh, man, just a king that was full of himself. And so even though he had taken the Israelites captive. Little did he know that he still couldn't do that outside of the sovereignty, outside of the hand of God. And and I want you to get this picture in your mind because it was Daniel chapter 4 and King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and he was super disturbed. And so he called for his enchanters, his sorcerers, and all of his magicians and nobody could interpret the dream. And so finally he calls for Daniel. And Daniel's just like the, the man, like, Daniel, listen, man, you hear from, like, the true God. I'm tired of all these cats on the side. Let me, let me like, tell me what, tell me what this means. And so, so he, he begins to, to, to break it down to him. He, he begins to break down the dream to Daniel. He said, yeah, man, I, I saw this tree. It's a beautiful tree. The tree, tree stretched out to, to the heavens. Uh, it was fruitful. Its leaves were beautiful. It provided food for everybody in the land. It provided shelters for the animals. It provided branches and and, and nests for birds and all the wildlife was fed. It was beautiful. I mean, it was majestic. And then he said, in my dream, I heard a voice from heaven cry out and say, cut it down to the stump, strip it of its branches, cut it down to the very end and and let him go insane. Essentially let him lose his mind until he realizes and comes back to understand that I am the true God, that I am the real God, that I am the God who was sovereign over all things. And so he says, hey Daniel, like, what does this mean, bro? And Daniel has so much courage. Daniel's like, well, and he kind of reiterated the dream back to him. And he said, well, well, basically King, you are the tree. You are the tree. And imagine if, you, if, you're, if you're the king. You're like, okay. So you're going to cut, like my kingdom's going to be cut down. Like I'm, I'm going to be cut down to a stump. Like, I think that would put a little bit of fear inside of you. Like maybe just a little bit. Anybody? Am I the only one? You guys are looking at me like, no, no that would be an easy dream. I think that would put a little bit of fear. And I'm sure it did for a moment. I'm sure it did for a moment. But then 12 months later, look what happens. 12 months later, as he was walking on the roof of the royal palace in Babylon, the king exclaimed, Is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have built by, my mighty, by the might of my power as my royal residence for the glory of my majesty? And it says, As he was uttering those lips, a voice came from heaven and declared everything that was said. He lost his mind, went into a state of confusion, began to live with the wild beasts. It said for seven times over, however long that is. Some say it was seven years. And he ate like an animal. He lived with the animals. His his hair grew and his nails grew. I mean, just like he just lost his mind. And it's so easy to look at the king and be like, are you serious? How could you do that? Yet, man, if we're honest, but I mean, we're all guilty of this. We're all guilty of, you know, glorifying and, and magnifying ourselves far beyond what we should. But like, like we all have these moments and we know what's right. And if you don't know what God says, man, I just encourage you, man, check it out. Because here's 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 the crazy part. King Nebuchadnezzar finally comes to his senses. And look what it says. It says, my eye, it says, at the end of that time. I, Nebuchadnezzar, it says, raised my eyes towards heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High, honored and glorified Him who lives forever. His dominion is eternal. And- And his kingdom endures from generation to generation, and all the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? And he continues, and he says, at the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and my splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom, that my... uh, My advisors and my nobles sought me out and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Can I just tell you that humility is coming? It's either you're going to humble yourself or be humbled. And I know that's kind of like a, a difficult thing to palate, but, it, but it's true. But, but I want you to see the grace of God in this because God always leaves a stump. He didn't say like it. He said, no, cut it down to a stump because there's going to be opportunity for this tree to flourish again when there's this, this turning back to me, when there's this, this time of repentance, of acknowledgement And all of a sudden, we see that happened to to King Nebuchadnezzar. All of a sudden, he said, man, I praise, I exalt, now I glorify the King of heaven because everything that he does is right, and all of his ways are just. And so I I want you to so gracious, so look, look at how gracious God is, and he makes this shift, and all of a sudden, what does God do? God makes all things brand new. He can see clearly. If you're taking notes, you can jot this down, is that when God is greater than self, it equals clarity. When God is greater than self, it equals clarity. And and it doesn't lead to acts of the flesh, which focus on sin and on self, but Paul goes on in Galatians and says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. And so so you see the the beautiful picture of life in the Spirit is focused on God and others, life in the flesh is focused on self and sin. Now, all of us would say, Man, I want this in my life like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, right? I, I want that in my life. And I think from King Nebuchadnezzar, we can learn a couple of things that I want to make very simple, very practical for you to to, to take home with you today. Because I think as we look at the life of King Nebuchadnezzar, I think we need to understand this. If you're taking notes, you can jot this down, is that we need to live in awe of God. We need to live in awe of God. Notice I didn't say just just be. Like, Like, we need to live in that place. So this last week, I went with my kids to the skate park. Some of you guys saw my post on Instagram. And, uh, and you know, I showed up, and I'm just like playing with my kids, right? Just messing around, you know, at the skate park, just trying to be a cool dad. And uh, and I'm riding a pink scooter, and it's not even a good scooter. Like you can see, like it's it's just it's it's kind of it's just janky, right? It's it's not a good scooter. And so some of the kids are looking at me. They're like, and I'm trying to hang with them. I'm going down the ramps, and I'm trying to like jump and land. And so you see this picture that I posted. Or if you didn't see it, uh, I think I got it here. There it is. You probably can barely see it. But, but I'm flying in the air, ladies and gentlemen, on a scooter. And uh, it's, about my, it's about my 50th try. But if you notice, I'm riding a different scooter because one of the young kids was like, hey, man, you want to try mine? It's like, I do, actually. And so I got, got on his scooter. And next thing you know, man, I drop in. And it was like, I was trying so hard just to, like, you know, you drop into the ramp and then you come out and you're just, trying to, just trying to land on it with both feet. And I couldn't do it on this thing. And they're all kind of laughing at me and stuff. And, and so finally I get his. He has, it's a little bit bigger, like the handlebars come up here. And man, I just get up and I'm like, Phew. I fly off that thing, I land it. They're like, oh, right? And, and I was even in awe, right, Julian? Like, I, I was like, dude, I, I was in awe that I landed this thing. But it wasn't my scooter. And so I was in awe for a moment. And then I went back to my, my pink scooter. And for the rest of the day, I couldn't do it, right? And I think, I think what happens is, is many times we get in awe of God in a moment, but we don't live in awe of God. Like we, we come to church and, and there may be a moment where we're like, yes, you are king. You are, I need you. And then all of a sudden we move on from that moment to something else. Like, King Nebuchadnezzar had a moment of awe when he threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3. We're, we're talking about Daniel chapter 4. In Daniel chapter 3, he tried to throw a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, also known as Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, into the fiery furnace because they refused to bow down to his idol. And so, so what happened was he threw them into the furnace, but they didn't burn up. It was so hot that even his soldiers burned who were close, but they were in the fire. And the Lord meets them in the fire. That's why we sing that song, there's another in the fire, right? Because we're not in the fire by ourselves. And King Nebuchadnezzar's like, wait a minute, they're they're walking around in there, and I see another with them that looks like the son of God. and, And so they come out not even smelling like smoke, not burnt, none of that. And he's like, there's no other God but your God. And, man, he has a moment of awe. But then not too long, he's back to being consumed with himself. And so God hasn't called us to have a moment of all. He's called us to, to live in awe. I love what Psalm verse 34 says. It says, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. Now, you know when you read, I will extol. Anybody ever read a word in the Bible, like, what does that mean? And then you just kind of guess. Maybe it just means to praise. Maybe it just means like to lift up. But this word in both Hebrew and Aramaic, it means to bow and to praise. So another translation said, I will bless the Lord at all times. Like I will live in a place where I am blessing the Lord. But it's not just saying I'm living in a place where I'm just, you know, declaring his praises. No, it's as I'm declaring his praises, his goodness is bringing me to my knees. And it means, literally means to bow, to stay in this posture and he says, his praise will continually be on my lips. Like, like not just for a moment, but continually at, at all times, you and I are cause, called to live in awe of the one who created all things. Now, now, can I just tell you this? Even right now in this pandemic, there's so many things begging for your awe. Like you remember the disciples caught in a storm? What happened? Even with Jesus in their boat, the storm still got their awe and not God. Like as we look at at Adam and Eve, Eve's looking at this fruit. The tree got her awe. She lost sight of her awe of God. we go back to Numbers chapter 13, when uh, Moses sent the 12 spies into the land, the land that God had promised them, the land that God had called the people of Israel to, to inhabit, to take the land and... 10 of the spies came back and said we can't do it there's giants in there and they said and we look like grasshoppers we are not strong enough what happened the giants got their awe and anytime something else gets our awe it always defaults back to ourselves like when the storm got the disciples awe. what are they we're gonna die right when when eve when, when the fruit got eve's awe She says, I'm going to be like God. When the the giants in the land were intimidating the people of Israel, what would happen? We look like grasshoppers. See, anytime anything gets the awe outside of God, automatically things are going to start to default back to self. Don't let anything capture your awe. Can I just tell you that unbelief is just as prideful as you standing on the top of the mountain saying, I am, I am the best. Just as much as King Nebuchadnezzar saying, look at the thing that I've built. Look how amazing I am. Like we look at that and we're like, yeah, that's bad. But you know, just doubting God's word is just as arrogant. Like, like are you guys tracking with me on this? Some of you guys are like, man, I did not come to church for this today. I'm trying to help you. Because when you remove the heavenly, our Heavenly Father from the equation, it's going to equal confusion. Confusion many times leads to destruction, and I'm here to pastor you. And so, so unbelief, man, unbelief, if it, if it captures our awe, it can be just as self-exalting. And the enemy is going to do whatever he can to have something capture your awe. He wants to lie to you until something else grabs your attention. And that's why it's important that if we're going to live in awe, we need some altars to remember. Like, like, I wonder if the Israelites would have just thought for a moment. Like, man, remember the Red Sea? Let's just stop before we make a decision. Remember the Red Sea? Remember how when we, we came into the wilderness that God provided a, a pillar of cloud for the daytime and, and a pillar of fire by night to keep us warm? Do, do you remember how he provided manna? They didn't even know what manna was. You know the definition of manna? We, we may call it bread or something, but the people of Israel, they called it, the, the word manna, it means, what is this? And, and it's awesome because you, got, you ever had a, a, what is this provision for a season that was taking you on? That, that was providing and sustaining you on the way to where God was taking you? You ever had a moment where, where all of a sudden you're like, what is this? Yeah. Like you get an unexpected blessing or somebody comes to your aid or, or, or God speaks to you in a, in a creative way. And you're like, what is this? God's like, man, I'm just sustaining you on the way to where I'm taking you. I wonder if they would have stopped and said, hey, you remember the water that came from the rock? Do you remember that after that the Amalekites attacked and we supernaturally won and we had never fought a battle in our life? Sometimes I think we, we don't live in awe because we, we forget the altars. And looking back on God's faithfulness, of God's truth, of God's you know, provision for us over the years. You say, well, I don't even have experience like that. Well, listen, go throughout history. Look in the scripture. There's a lot of altars. That was part of people's pain that you can benefit from. There's some people here. Get in a small group. Listen to some altars of God providing and God sustaining. So we got to live in awe of God, not just in a moment. we got to live in awe. Number two, if you're taking notes, you can jot this down, is that we got to live in love with God. we got to live in love with God. I love this passage of scripture found in Mark. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. You see, if you and I are gonna worship God in the most proper way, it starts by not only understanding who God is and who we are in connection to God, but it requires both the love of God and our response to the love of God, which is worship. How would you define worship? Worship can be defined one way in, as our response to who God is, our response to his love for us. And so I, I love what N.T. Wright said. He said it this way. He said, the Jewish law begins with worship, with the love of God. Because if it's true that we are made in God's image, we will find our fullest meaning, our true selves, the more we learn to love and worship the one we are designed to reflect Selah that means pause just let that sink in for a moment no half measures heart soul mind and strength that is every aspect of human life is to be poured out gladly in worship of the one true God whatever we do we do for him and so isn't this crazy that when we love God and we're worshiping God he gets what we deserve and we get what we need it's a beautiful mystery and I want you to get this. I want you to see this clearly, because if we are created in the image of God, and our design was to reflect the beauty, the majesty, and the glory of God, as we were created in His image, and the more we get to know Him, the more we love Him, the more we worship Him, the more clarity we have, and confusion begins to diminish. The more confident we are in who we, we are in Christ, and confusion begins to diminish. So, so you say, well, well, man, how do I do that? how do I love the Lord your God? That, that's a whole message in and it of itself. But let me just take you to 1 John. 1 John chapter five, verse three. I'm not gonna show you on the board, but it says this, this is love for God. This is what it means to love God. Obey his commands and his commands are not a burden. This is love for God. Obey his commands and his commands are not a burden. I love how he connects faith and obedience and love because they're intertwined. Are you guys tracking with me? Because a genuine proof of faith a genuine proof of love is obedience and a genuine proof of faith is love so let me let me break this down for you so Jackie and I when we first started to date many of you guys know that Jackie did not like me like she just didn't like me I, I was you know, I was a little bit more like again my, my I just I was saved and I loved Jesus but I didn't look like it whatever that means and she just wasn't feeling me in the beginning. So, you know, those of you guys that look at us, you're like, oh, this is a beautiful, romantic story. No, man, it was kind of rough in the beginning. I was trying to win this girl's heart, and I just began to pursue her and pursue her and pray and contend and pursue her and pursue her. And can I just tell you, probably the greatest day of my life outside of salvation is when I got on my knees. I think I got on both knees. I was like, please, if you would, Right? The greatest moment aside from salvation is she looked in my eyes and she said yes. She gave me her yes. And I know it wasn't for anything that I could provide. I'm a pastor, right? I didn't have this like big old portfolio to offer. It was like, no, I know she's choosing me for me. And I think one of the greatest pictures, that's a very small picture. Of I think a greater, a grander picture that God refers to us as his bride. And I think the greatest thing that a groom can get from his bride is a yes. Is a yes. I think, man, as we begin to say yes to his word, as we begin to say yes to his love for us, yes to receiving God's love, God's grace, God's forgiveness. You know, there's nothing worse than in my kid. I'm trying to let her know, like sometimes my, my little baby girl, Hannah, like sometimes I'll, I'll correct her, but she's not in trouble, but she thinks she's in trouble. And I'm like, babe, you're not in trouble. She's like, yes, I am. <laughs> like, you're not in trouble. Like, there's nothing more heartbreaking than when I'm trying to lavish my daughter with love and she's not receiving that. So can, can I just say, man, you're yes to God to receiving his love, to, to say yes to God to the purposes and the plans that he has for you. But, but, but before all of that, just to say yes to him. And if you're not a Christian today, can they say, man, God has done nothing for me. I, I, I would beg to argue that and we can dialogue later because I think there are probably a lot of things that God has done you just haven't realized but can I just tell you this real quick that as we begin to look at what Christ has done that while we were yet sinners Christ is still pursuing us while while we didn't deserve it Christ was still after us while we were as you begin to see his love his grace, his atoning work, that he who knew no sin became sin, that we would become the righteousness of God. When you begin to see who he is, you won't worship him and love him for what he can give. You'll worship him and love him for who he is alone. And yeah, as he lavishes you with love, as you experience salvation in his presence, absolutely, that's going to stir your affection for God, and, and, and you're going to get to know him personally but but it's not like we don't worship just for what we can get We worship him for who he is are you guys tracking with me on that and so we've got to live in love with God not like love not not a, a superficial love not just like I come to church but no, I'm in love and can I just tell you love changes the game love is where you go from religion to relationship love, love it, it, it changes the game the last one is this before I go, because we're running out of time. Online, you guys to track with me, let's go. Last one is this. We want to live with gratitude towards God. So we want to live in awe of God. We want to live in love with God and we want to live with gratitude towards God. I love what Paul says in Thessalonians. He says, be thankful in all circumstances for this is God's will for you. who belong to Christ Jesus. Like you want to know what God's will for you is? Is to be thankful in all circumstances. Like, like, as I'm riding a little piece of junk scooter, man, I'm grateful. Super grateful. But like how something so ridiculous can, can still bring God glory. Like you turn on the sports channel and I know some of you guys are like, gosh, there's no sports. And, but can I just tell you, it's, it's, whatever you do, do it with gratitude. Do it with thanksgiving as unto the Lord. And if you do, what you'll find is it's really hard to become self-seeking when you're constantly giving God glory and thanks. It's like a great gauge. It's like the positive. How do we overcome evil? We overcome evil with good. So don't just sit around trying not to self-exalt yourself. No, just how about you exalt God on a regular basis? How about you, you, you find something to be grateful for? I mean, think about this. God gave Adam and Eve all the trees in the garden. He just said, don't eat from one. Like there's tons of trees here. Gratitude. You lost sight of all the other trees And because you couldn't have one? Gratitude. Are you guys with me on that? I I, I mean, think think about this. Like, like just pause for a moment and think about the gift that God is giving us. The fact that you're going to, many of us, most of us, we're going to eat today, unless you're fasting, right? 10,000 taste buds are on your tongue. Like, that is a reason to stop and give God glory. Not just to pray a quick prayer to bless your food, but to, in the middle of that bite, Say, God, thank you. I am so grateful for the salsa. I am so grateful for this carne asada. This is, like, you can give thanks in all things. And I know it sounds silly, but it's true. It's so true. And I will propose to you this, that gratitude is the gateway to humility. It is really so hard to be proud when you're so grateful. It is so hard to have a haughty attitude when you are so grateful for all that God has done because the glory goes to him and that puts things in its proper place. And so what am I saying? I'm just saying, hey, pay attention to what you're looking for. Like you ever notice you, you, you're driving around or maybe there's a car that you like, that you wanna purchase, and all of a sudden you start to see that car everywhere? Because it's what you're looking for. Like you just start to see it, it's, it's here, it's there. Like what if you started to look for the presence of God that way? Like some of you guys are, are, are looking for a spouse. Like what if you looked for the presence of God the way you're longing for that spouse? Like in every moment and every day. Like what what if you're watching sports and you just give glory to God for the fact that you get to partake and it's fun, it's enjoyable, we get to enjoy some things and it's only because he says so. I'm telling you, it's so hard to be self-exalting when you're constantly giving glory to God. And let me close with this. It's really easy to lose your way when you grumble. You know, the, the people of Israel, the 10 spies that rejected everything, they said, you know what? We're gonna do, the giants are too big. We don't wanna do this anymore, God. We know what you said. And they said they started to grumble. And this is what they said. We need to find a new leader to take us back to Egypt. Can I just tell you that grumbling will move you backwards. Gratitude will move you frontwards let me close with this passage of scripture. It says this, it says Psalm chapter 16, verse six, the lions have fallen to me in pleasant places. This is a Psalm of David as he's on the run from King Saul. King Saul is pursuing his life, but he just acknowledged the protection and the sustaining hand of God, knowing that there are some things that are just outside of his control, that the lines have been drawn, that his contentment, his contentment with the arranges that God has made in this season of life, he just said, I'm good with like I'm on the run for my life. God, you promised me to be king. This is not looking anything like the dream. But he said, the lines have fallen to me. And I declare those lines pleasant places. What was David saying? Is God, I could see you providentially at work in my life. And even in the midst of all this chaos, I still see your hand in your presence. And David began to live his life in such a way that even in the worst of times, there was still joy. There would be heartbreak, but then he'd come back to his altars. He lived in awe, he lived in love, and he lived with gratitude. And can I just tell you, if we can learn to live like that for one day, I'm just telling you, we will see God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. If we could just grasp the reality of this, It's not about self is greater than God. God is greater than self. Self greater than God will equal confusion. God greater than self will equal so much clarity and freedom. And so I want to pray for you today as we wrap up. And I just want to take a moment, just you and God, I just want you to ask the Lord right now just to search your heart. If you're online, just wherever you're at, just ask the Lord. Just bow your heads with me. Ask the Lord to search your heart. With every head bowed, every eye closed, you know, I'm reminded, I'm reminded of this story. And uh, five years ago, I was, I was at a John Maxwell conference. And uh, it's, it's people from all over the world. It's a leadership conference. And, uh, and there, there was a lady there, and she was sitting at my round table. And, and this is for somebody today. Somebody needs to hear this. She was sitting at my round table. When we got up, we were done with our small group. She's like, ooh, like you are so cute. And I need to stay away from you because I'm gonna get myself in trouble. And, and I was like, stay away from me, girl. I ain't hanging out with you. And she just kept pushing and kept prodding. So I called my wife. I was like, man, this lady is like, like just pray for me. I gotta try to find a way around this lady. She's that, that lady that's looking like for you, hi, right? But can I tell you, I was by myself in Florida What kept me, and let me just just speak honestly and truthfully, that those moments are traps from the enemy. No one would have known. I'm way in Florida. It would have been an easy decision. But can I just tell you, what kept me is not that I'm awesome. What kept me is my awe for God. What kept me is my love for Him and my love for my wife and I am still overwhelmingly grateful that God still chooses me and that my wife said yes. The law is not enough to keep you, it's just not. But his love, your awe of him, God himself is able to sustain you. And when he is in the equation, it's very clear. When he's outside of the equation, that's where it becomes very confused. Somebody needs to hear that today. Let me pray. Father, I just thank you so much, Lord, that you're able to keep us and sustain us. Lord, that even if we've blown it and we're in a place right now where, man, our tree is cut down to the stump, Lord, you said that if we would turn to you, that if we would confess our sin, that we, if we would confess our selfishness, God, that old things would pass away, that all things would become brand new, that you would faithfully Forgive us, God, that you were faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks again for joining us here at Fountain Church. For more details on how to get connected, visit us at fountainchurch.cc. We're also on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. We'll see you next time.